Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Drivers! Start your engines! What for? Because you hit any other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect. When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. It's him. He talks to me. He didn't slam you, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you. And rubbing son is racing. Hey race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network and welcome to Drafting the Circuits. My name is Frank Santoroski, I'll be your host for the next hour as we discuss a action-packed weekend of racing that we just had here. Um, with me in the studio tonight is Mr. Richard Uden, race engineer, and Mr. Seth Eggert, the NASCAR correspondent at Motorsports Tribune. How are you gentlemen this evening? Doing good. Very good. All right. Well, great to have you here both. So uh, uh, so we had um, NASCAR at Daytona, uh, the British Grand Prix this weekend, and uh, IndyCar was on the 7-8 mile boring at, uh, in Iowa. So we <laughs> had three drastically different tracks and three really great races. But uh, w- when I look at everything, I have to give Eric Jones the award for the best post-race comment when he said how about that race boys and girls but uh you know that being said a uh, great win for eric jones we haven't had a first time winner in nascar since uh stenhouse last year is that correct seth uh austin uh, dillon austin dillon actually okay i thought he had won at charlotte he won at charlotte but uh stenhouse won at talladega which was before charlotte Okay, so uh, either way, you know, um, Eric Jones is a new winner in the series. So uh, the other other winners on the week were um, Sebastian Vettel winning in Great Britain and James Hinchcliffe um, taking a very popular win in Iowa. Hinchcliffe, whose uh, uh, season was a little derailed after being the guy bumped out of the Indy 500, needed some positive mojo, um, and he got that um, in grand fashion at Iowa. So uh, great job to Jones, Hinch, and um, and Devettel. So uh, before we get into dissecting the races, let's talk about some of the uh, the news items that we have out there. It came out earlier today uh, that uh, Harding Racing in the IndyCar Series is going to sit Gabby Chavez down in order to put Connor Daly in the car for the Grand Prix of Toronto um, in a attempt to evaluate him as a driver for 2019. Um, as I look at this, um, 
It's a little bit of a raw deal for Gabby, who's uh, the, the guy has a great work ethic. Um, he he got the shaft once before when he was um, Brian Herta's uh, full time driver his uh, rookie season. Uh, then the Herta team folded. Uh, Andretti merged with the Herta team. Everybody kept their job except poor old Gabby Chavez. He had a partial season in between. Harding picked him up for a full season. Harding says they're committed to him as their driver for 2019, but they do want to expand to a two-car effort, but it would appear that they lack the resources to uh, do any testing um, or, or whatnot or to enter a second car at the time, so their solution is to put Connor in the car and have Gabby sit on the sidelines. Now, Brian Barnhart, who's the race director over there at, uh, uh, or, or the managing director over there at uh, Harding, uh, used the words that Gabby was understandably pissed, <laughs> as uh, as he probably should be. But um, I, you know, it's a lot of folks like Connor Daly. Um, he's he's popular with fans. He's not so popular with uh, the race engineers and team owners. He's, he's burned a couple of bridges here and there, but um, he's getting another shot. Uh, you know, perhaps this will, you know, uh, materialize into a 2019 ride for uh, for Connor Daly. Um, and again, I, I think that his personality, um, him being a you know an American from Indiana, his pedigree uh, being the son of a you know Formula One IndyCar driver. Uh, Derek Daly is it plays well um, hopefully he'll perform well but um, you know on another side note they're also looking at uh, Pato Award who had a seat fitting with um, with Harding uh, they're looking at Santa Eurica and they're also looking at Colton Herta for that second car next year so it's not out of the realm of possibility that they may ask Gabby to sit another one out before the year is up. So uh, now, now, Richard, you, you've uh, <coughs> you've 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 uh, you've worked within a team. You've seen these driver evaluation things. Uh, what are, what are some of your thoughts on this whole thing and how it's transpired? Good deal, bad deal, best for the team, bad for Gabby. What are, what are your thoughts? Mm, it's a difficult. I mean, obviously, you know, your first thought is with the guy that's been, you know, had his has his nose put out of place really by being told to sort of sit on the bench for uh, at least one week, potentially more, it, it, it's, it's difficult. Um, you know, these guys, they're, you know, they're racing drivers, and that is all they know how to do. You know, most of these kids sort of, you know, are not being disrespectful to them, don't have like a, you know, college education or, you know, a vocational background. All they know how to do is race cars, and that's all they want to do. Uh, so to be told, oh, you know, you're missing a race, you know, for one week to, you know, we'll think, oh, that's not too bad. To these guys, it's like the end of the world. You know, the sky's falling in on them. Um, is this a good situation? I mean, what are you going to learn from putting a kid in, you know, for one week? There's no benchmark there. You know, you don't know how your regular driver's going to do. In comparison, you know, you could get a complete lemon of the setup on the car and miss it by half a second a lap, and you know, you don't really learn anything. You know, this guy's no good. Well, yeah, the setup's not good. Uh, I think if you're going to do these things, you know, it needs to be done in a you know a controlled environment uh, at a proper track test. Or, I mean, these days, um, you know, I don't know which um, Harding, which engine manufacturer that they use. Uh, they're a Chevrolet team. Chevrolet. So Chevrolet have got at least two vehicle simulators in the U.S., which uh, I know 
Oh, no, I don't know for certain, but I'm pretty confident that the agreement is with most teams that if you are a Chevrolet partner, then you do get at least some time in the simulator as part of your agreement. So there is that time that would be available to them. Uh, you know, these simulators uh, are very, very good these days. So you'd get 90% of an answer from just doing work in the simulator. So I, I think there's a little bit more to it than just, oh, we're evaluating you know, these drivers for a second car next year. Uh, yeah, from uh, no, I, I, that, that something else a little bit there. I think, if you ask me, yeah, it makes you wonder. It makes you wonder because uh, at the same time they're saying that he's under contract for 2019 to be their driver. I, I don't know if they're just you know telling him, uh, you know. And, and the good news is, you know, on a side note, what had happened was, <laughs> you know, I don't know what they're what, what they're trying to tell him there, but uh, you know, sit out this week and let's see how Connor does. And again, as you say, yeah, there's there's really no benchmark for a first year team. They don't have data from that track last no. year. Last year they raced a couple of oval races, and this is their first. So uh, we'll just have to see how it plays out. And I, what I, I feel, the, you know, go ahead. What happens if this guy goes out and finishes fifth? You know, does that make you know the, the the current driver look useless, or you know where I it doesn't yeah it doesn't really sit particularly well with me. But I'm not a team owner, so <laughs> yeah. Well, it's got to be absolutely scary sitting there. You oh, know, yeah, wonder, yeah. wondering yeah, what if what if this guy goes out here and really impresses? You know, is that is yeah. that is that the end of me? Yeah. And again, you know, Gabby has shown his medal uh, as as being a pretty pretty focused a pretty tough guy he's got a great work ethic you know he got the ride with the herda team a couple of years ago based on winning the indy lights championship and you know and he's with his new team and uh and now he's just, he has to sit in the sidelines and just sweat it out so uh but we'll see we'll we'll see I mean, how- the worst thing that the worst thing a new a new team can do is swap and change drivers if you're a new team with engineers and new drivers and a new manager you know the most important thing is consistency and sticking with the same drivers and learning as a group. If you start pointing fingers and saying, well, this guy's better than that guy, then you're never going to get anywhere. Exactly, exactly. So we'll see how all that plays out. Hopefully Gabby will be back in the car, uh, you know, for, for mid-Ohio and the rest of the season. Uh, but like I said, they, you know, they, they gave uh, Pat Award a seat fitting. Uh, you know, could that be just for a manufacturer test or are they looking to put him in the car? So. All up no, in the I mean, air. The All up in the air. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, um, but you know, that that being aside, the other the other thing is the, the McLaren will there or won't they? Rumors have gotten um, some real because uh, we had a little shakeup in the management of McLaren. Who's the guy that resigned? Uh, Eric Boulier. Eric Boulier resigned, and then uh, Joe Soward, who's a uh, <laughs> that's uh, that's resigned in uh, air quotations. Right, yeah, so he's no longer with McLaren, right? So, and so the, the the quick speculation was that they're going to they're going to trash the IndyCar program. They're not going to do it. And that came from uh Joe Soward, who's a uh UK-based um reporter who's uh heavily involved in Formula 1, but he's really not uh doesn't have his finger on the pulse of what's going on in IndyCar. Zach Brown was pretty pretty quick to uh come back to say that uh rumors to that extent are crap. Now, the rumor that's crap is the rumor that they have decided not to come to IndyCar. At the same time, he said they have not decided that they will come to IndyCar. So, you know, but he's saying they haven't decided against it. 
They haven't decided before yeah. it, but they haven't decided against it. So, so it's it's still up in the air. Um, we'll just have to see how that one plays out. But at the same time, uh, Michael Andretti patiently patiently waiting for a decision to see what what he needs to do uh, if he's going to welcome a you know a fifth car to a stable for McLaren with either Alonso or Dixon or, or whoever they choose to put in the car, or if it's going to be business as usual for him. So, so. All that news aside, Seth, uh, you've got some uh, NASCAR news. Uh, we've got uh, a driver making his cup debut at Kentucky next week, where you and I will both be at the track. Yes, uh, Jesse Little, uh, who is a part-time driver in the truck series, and he is the son of former driver Chad Little, who is currently one of the series directors. He will be making his uh, ser- uh, Cup Series debut in the number seven premium motorsports Chevrolet in Kentucky. Uh, we also have some sponsorship news. Uh, Kaz will not be running the Expanding Series race at Kentucky, unfortunately, due to a lack of sponsorship. And real quick on him, I do want to give a kudos to him for this past weekend. He finished fifth in the Fury race cars team. In a 10-year-old Everham chassis and a retired Stuart Haas Racing show car. I read yeah. that. Yeah, it, remind, it reminded me of the old, uh, the old story from the Indy 587 where they took the show car out of the uh, out of the hotel room in Allentown, out of the hotel lobby in Allentown, and uh, gave it to Al Unser. And he won the race, so yeah, that's that's pretty neat. So, um, but again, it goes to show you. Speaking of Daytona, you don't necessarily have to have the fastest car to win. Uh, you just need to uh, survive the carnage. And at Daytona this past weekend, carnage there was for sure. And um, uh, young Ricky Stenhouse, who uh, was uh, really good on a restrictor place last year, he was really good um, Saturday night. He was uh, really aggressive and. Um, he got a, you know, he uh, that he was at fault for two of the two of the the bigger wrecks that took out some uh, of the some of the, in, the top contenders. Yeah, so Seth, uh, I'll let you chime in on that. Well, in total, he was in three at he was in uh, five absence, three of his own making, which it's uh, very ironic. His sponsor was Fifth Third Bank, so five wrecks. Three he calls. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Now, the one wreck I do want to, or there's two wrecks I want to draw attention to. One was the massive pileup that Stenhouse caused the first big one of the night. He didn't check up when Kozlowski did, and Kozlowski had checked up for a block because of William Byron. Uh, that sent Kozlowski, who was in third, up into Kurt Busch, who was in second, and they spun in front of the entire field. 26 cars in total were involved in that wreck in some way, shape, or form. Now, is, the, the interesting thing is, yeah, Stenhouse got into Keselowski, right? But Keselowski, in his post-race, you know, post-crash uh, interview, didn't seem so upset with uh, Stenhouse as he was with Byron. For the for the what he called a bad buck, and Keselowski said, "I guess what did he say? He said, like, I guess I don't wreck enough people um, that people think they can throw me a bad block.' So, but um, you know, wait till Talladega. 
you know, what, I mean, what, what are your thoughts there? I mean, was uh, I mean, was is is Stenhouse getting un- unfairly blamed for this when maybe it's Byron's fault? Well, let's with the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Put it this way, uh, Kaslowski was the only person to blame Byron, and Stenhouse had a police escort back to the driver owner motor coach lot. Right. So, uh, so to your point, you you believe this is all this is all Stenhouse, but I mean, was the was the block on Kislowski bad? I'll say that it was too early in the race to be blocking like that. They were maybe 10 laps into the second stage. They still had another 30 or so to go in that stage. And they were well away from the halfway mark of the race. And they ended up wiping out over half the cars in the race. And a lot of really good cars, too. You took out, I think, all the Penske cars went out there. All three Penske cars. Right. And then um, Uh, you had half of Stuart Haas get taken out there. You had uh, Chase Elliott get taken out. Uh, you had Austin Dillon get a piece of the wreck. You had uh, Daniel Suarez get taken out. Denny Hamlin was in it. So uh, just about half, if not all, of the power- powerhouse teams were taken out in that wreck. And then Stenhouse went and proceeded to uh, wipe out Byron, Kyle Busch, Jamie McMurray, and Kyle Larson in the next incident. Yep. You know, it's, it's kind of funny because you, you talk about, you know, racers wanting a race. And I, I was reading something, I think I think maybe it was Robin Miller that wrote it, that uh, it, it's just an unpleasant feeling. You're just wheeling it around, waiting for the big one, hoping you avoid it. And it's not, play racing is not real, real racing, although... Um, it is kind of exciting to watch, uh, you know. I, I guess it's my guilty pleasure. Um, but uh, I, I, Richard, what do you think? You've uh, you've watched racing your whole life. Is, is this plate racing real racing, or is it just manufactured drama? <laughs> um, and the other thing I want to throw but, at you have they have they made this new era package? A bit too unstable, where you know, if you if you're just a little bit off on the bump draft, you're 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 causing a wreck. Because it, it used to be, you know, when I watched NASCAR in the '90s, you could do the bump draft, and then the cars would not just immediately snap around like they do. I think um, so the first part is is this plate racing or a strict plate racing, you know, real racing. There is a skill to it. 
you know, you look at the guys that, uh, you know, win plate races. There are certain drivers that are better than others. Uh, you know, Dale Jr. was a prime example, and his father, you know, they were great plate racers. They understood how to race these tracks. Um, you know, I know a few guys that used to work at DAI back in the day when they were, like, I think they won like six out of seven plate races or something in a row. And, you know, they would tune their cars and they would spend hours and hours and hours in the wind tunnel and on shaker rigs and doing vibration, you know, to to eke out every last bit of potential power from the car. So there's certainly skill involved there from a, um, uh, you know, a, um, engineering perspective. And there is certainly a skill set needed to be a competitive plate race dri- uh, driver. So... Yeah, I think it is racing. Is it a pure form of racing? Um, I think there's too much luck in it. I think that, uh, you know, you need that little bit of control. And again, we go back to this whole thing, and I keep banging on about this, you know, on this show quite regularly. When you're a team and when you're a driver and when you put in a huge amount of effort, you want a return on that effort. And you don't necessarily get that in plate racing because it is randomized to a great extent. So I think that's where they struggle is the random nature of plate racing, uh, you know, and how these the big one can take so many cars out. Um, you know, I think they... It's, it's, it's difficult. It's, it's nature of the beast, isn't it? But I think it is racing, and I think it is. You know, there is a skill set, and I haven't really answered the question at all. There, have I? Oh, that's okay. Yeah, but, but at the same time, to your point, yeah. yeah, yeah, you've got guys that are great at plate racing, but but plate races have produced some of the most unlikely winners, just because the the luck factor. And Eric Eric Jones may be one of those there where he he really wasn't in contention all day. Uh, You know, he he was he was up there, but but uh, he was able to make that pass stick at the end through how many overtimes, two overtimes, two overtimes, two overtimes. Right. But but you got got guys like uh, you got guys like Jimmy Spencer, Derek Cope, um, uh, Trevor Bain, who just come out of nowhere to win a plate race. uh, Ricky Stenhouse. Uh, you know, who, who've got uh, uh, you know good arrow and and survive the carnage and yeah. pop up and win. So, but you know, you look at you know this is another prime example. But you look back at the five hundred in in February there when when Austin won, they were nowhere all weekend really. Uh, you know, even they actually went to a backup car in the middle of the week because the car they qualified in was so poor, and throughout the race. I don't think he was in the top five apart from the last lap in reality. So, you know, you've got to give it, you know, there is a skill to that without any doubt. But there's also a huge amount of luck. Huge amount of luck. So, now, Seth, um, we had uh, Xfinity on Friday night, and we had a little bit of controversy at the end there. Uh, Kyle Larson was declared the winner, although he did not cross the finish line first. Um, NASCAR took a little heat for the call on the, uh, who was the gentleman who, uh, crossed the finish line Justin first? Justin Haley. Justin Haley, uh, had, uh, executed a pass below the double yellow, and, um, NASCAR explained that, uh, yep, that's the rule. If you get, uh, uh, the, you know, two tires below that yellow, it's an illegal pass, uh, if you improve your position, unless you're forced down there. So, I mean, there's a little gray area in the rule. Well, 
Well, Seth, I'm gonna let you. Area this time. I'm gonna let you uh, talk us through it. Well, Justin Haley had swung from the outside up against the wall all all the way down to the WL line, and he was straddling just above it uh, while you had Elliot Sadler and Larson beating and banging coming to the checkered. Haley gets beside him. He's and as he's beside them, they start moving down the track. So he instinctively moved down and put his left side tires below the yellow line. He was making the pass, and yes, he was improving his position. However, there's actually some debate as to whether or not his bumper was ahead of the other two when he went below the yellow line. If it was ahead, he couldn't have improved his position, and therefore the penalty would have been null and void. However, NASCAR ruled that he was improving his position and penalized him. He went from leading the final lap and winning in just his second Xfinity Series start to finishing 18th, the last car on the lead lap. All right, so now, Seth, let me ask you this. Do you personally agree or disagree with NASCAR's call? Honestly, I disagree with it. And this is after listening to the debate uh, when you have uh, champions such as Brad Keselowski uh, from the Cup Series, Tobledine, who won championships in the Truck Series and is now a broadcaster, questioning that call as to whether or not it was the right call. And Richard, your thoughts on that? I haven't seen it. Okay, so I think, you, you, I think you get a what, pass. Well, no, I, sorry, no, that's not refer- I didn't see it during the race, and I saw everybody's comments before I saw the highlights, if you're with me. So I probably had a slightly loaded impression of it. But I don't think he had to go below the line like he had to. And the rules are the rules, and they're reiterated repeatedly. So I think it was the right call. And that part I will say I agree with. The rules are the rules, and whether I like it or not, NASCAR has to be some at least consistent in enforcing the rules. So they went by the rule book. I understand it. I just don't like it. No. Well, I, I mean, they, they, but they, they, they beat this in the driver's heads all weekend long. Don't go below that double yellow line, you know, so. I mean, you know, and also we mentioned briefly off uh, before the start of the show, you know, this kid is, you know, to a great extent, that's what the spotters are there for, you know. They're there to, um, you know, to, to help these guys and say, you know, I'm sure. Give him a little point and say, hey, guys. Uh, you know, it, it is what it is. And the, this young man has learned from his mistake, I'm sure. Uh, but, uh, again, you know, the fact that uh, here you got a guy in his second, you say his second career um, Xfinity race? Yes, he's a regular in the truck series. Right. So, so the, and there he is just about winning the race, perhaps winning the race. Thought he won the race because he was doing the donuts as <laughs> at the same time Kyle Larson was. So, um, but uh, you know, lesson learned for him. But again, it just shows you that these plate races are unpredictable, uh, 
and that you know it's the, the surprise winners pop up pop pop up there out of nowhere. And if I may, just one quick uh, mention. Also in the Xfinity Series race, they had their own big one, and that one was after the end of the second stage. And Austin Sindrick uh, went for a barrel roll. He rolled about three times on the banking in turn one. Yikes, I didn't see that. He, he was okay. It, it took him a minute to get out of the car, because, more so because of his height. So landing on the hard asphalt at an angle, it bent the roof in a little bit. So he just needed gain out uh, help gain out of the car simply because of his height. Okay, but 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 it's all well and good. He's uninjured. Yes. That's good to know. Good to know. So, all right. So NASCAR is off to Kentucky. Yes, this, this coming weekend, uh, Seth, you and I will both be at the racetrack. Um, and, and Richard, you're flying. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't get my invite. Thanks, guys. Jeez. Uh, Jeez, that's <laughs> awkward, isn't it? Yeah, wow. Richard, you're always okay. invited, so, uh. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Kentucky, they've been promoting, promoting the heck out of this race with the, um, the turn three at Kentucky. Turn three at Kentucky is the toughest turn in NASCAR. Uh, what do you think about it, Seth? Is, is turn three at Kentucky the toughest turn in NASCAR? No, and I will. I do want to mention one thing. They're promoting it as turn three being the issue. Meanwhile, half the promo is people wrecking coming out of turn two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but yeah. Anyway, they they re when they repave the track. Um, they they reprofiled turns one and two, and but they kept three and four rather similar to what they were. So, uh, but anyway, I, mean, I was I was out there last year. I enjoyed the race. It was uh, uh, no, Kyle Busch and Martin Truex show. Martin Truex took the win at the end of the day. Um, again, I think that they've done a pretty nice job reprofiling the track, so it's not a what they call a you know cookie cutter. 1.5 mile oval. It used to have pretty much the same profile as you know Texas, Charlotte, uh, all the rest of them. But now they've, you know, they, they've done a nice job with giving the track a little character. Um, and if they want to promote the turn three as the toughest turn in NASCAR, yeah, you know, that's all well and good. We'll we'll, we'll see what happens. I think Seth, uh, I've got us some uh, some grandstand seats that we can get out of the media center. And they're going to be with a good turn of uh, a good view of turn three. So we'll see how all that plays out. But uh, that being said, I mean, who do you like for Kentucky? Kentucky has 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 exactly three different people win at the track, and that's uh, Brad, Martin, and um, Kyle. I'm going to say Kevin Harvick. Sure, why not? And and Richard, you like anybody for Kentucky? Sure. Uh... <laughs> Let's have a think. I was you know, Harvick's the obvious choice, isn't it? Um, who could look good around there? No, Harvick's not the obvious choice. Well, he's got the momentum, hasn't he? Uh, you know, he probably should or could have won Sonoma. Uh, you know, he dropped off a little bit of Chicago, didn't he? Uh, yeah, let's go with, Ky- yeah, let's go go with, with Kyle Larson. Okay, that's, uh, that's a good pick there, yeah. Kyle had a Pretty good. I want to say Kyle had a pretty good run there last year. I remember the first year I went to the NASCAR race in Kentucky. Kyle Larson was the guy that smacked the wall so hard in the back. 
on, on the back coming out of two that that, that it sounded like a gunshot <laughs> sitting in turn four. Yeah, so uh, but yeah, I, I I've got to go with Keselowski at Kentucky. He's 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 had a great run there. He's I think he's won. Is it three times, Seth, or or? Uh. I think it's three. I'm just double checking to make sure. I want to say he has three. Um, Kyle's got two, and Martin's got one, I believe. Um, uh, yeah, it's three. Uh, Kyle has two. Martin has one, and Matt Kenseth has one. Oh, that's right. Kenseth won that one year. Yeah. So, uh, but I'm gonna go with Brad. Brad needs a win. Brad had a really good. He had a really fast car at Daytona. Um, and probably could have won, won that if it weren't for um, you know, Stenhouse or Byron, depends on who you believe. So. And and just one more note, uh, to Richard Chevrolet has not won in the Cup Series at Kentucky. Well, there you go. Hey, yet, rule, yet. let those of us be broken. Actually, Kentucky last year, all three races, truck Xfinity and Cup were swept by Toyota cars, and they and, have been. In the triple header weekend, yes, 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 and uh, I live here in Kentucky, so they have been promoting the heck of that on on local radio. They, they say, you know, Toyota is returning to see if they can um, uh, do this streak again of all three. So, um, and just so you know, Toyotas are built in Georgetown, Kentucky, which is uh, somewhere right in between where I live in Kentucky and the Speedway, and uh, they're one of the um, the finest employers in the state, um, and the, the Camry is, is built right here in Kentucky. So, um, so they're very proud of the fact that uh, last year they Toyota Toyota cars and trucks swept all three races. So it'll be great to see. And Seth, I'm looking forward to seeing you at the racetrack um, this weekend. So before we uh, stop off of uh, talking about NASCAR and move on to uh, IndyCar and Formula One, um, do we have any dangling NASCAR news we need to talk about, Seth? Uh, Brett Moffitt will have a sponsor at Eldora Speedway. Uh, he and his team will be sponsored by iRacing.com. And that was a team that is in contention for a championship. Moffitt has won three truck races. And it was looking like Eldora, Bristol, and Homestead were going to be issues with sponsorship that they may not be able to compete. They have a sponsor for Homestead. They haven't announced it yet. And they just announced uh, iRacing for Eldora. Now the only race they need sponsorship for is Bristol. All right, well, good for them. Good for iRacing hopping on board and sponsoring real cars instead of uh, your simulator ones. So, <laughs> And one other uh, note about simulators and Eldora uh Ryan Newman will run the Eldora truck race in the number three VRX racing simulators Chevrolet Silverado for Jordan Anderson. Now, Richard, you've worked with Ryan Newman a little bit. Has, has he done any simulator time, or is this just just slapping the name on the car? Um, <laughs> Ryan's one of the old school. He's not a big fan of these uh, newfangled uh, simulators and all that sort of stuff, so... Uh, I think it's more of a uh, a PR exercise than a than a, um, you know his personal uh, you know uh, way that he prepares for races. Let's uh, l- let's put it that way. But you never know. Maybe this could be the uh, 
the race that inspires him to uh, to get into the simulator and uh, and, and put some miles in them. They're uh, certainly new technology, and uh, you know there's a lot, lot to be gained from using those. And I will say. Uh... It's interesting that Jordan Anderson is taking a step back from being a driver owner to having a driver uh, basically replace himself. But not only that, he reached out and got Ryan Newman, the caliber of driver he is, especially on third. He ran the first Eldora Dirt Derby and finished third. That was the last time he competed in the truck series back in 2013. Oh, no, I'm going to hold you up to that one. He raced a truck at Kansas in 2015 or 16, I think. I'm almost certain he did. I'm almost certain he did because I was. It was. It would have been 15, 2015, Kansas. Newman drove a truck, so I'm sure Wikipedia will clear that up for us. <laughs> I'm sure. Well, I wish you, you work with the guy, so yeah, you're probably right. I get, hey, I just yeah. want to get one over on Seth with the NASCAR <laughs> stat. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll dine on that for the rest of the year. He did, and that was for oh! you to check. But I will Thank say you. this: I went based on the press release. Uh, oh well, hey, it's a press release. <laughs> All right. I've so... seen press releases on about drivers getting pole position, or not pole position, but qualifying. Uh, Qualifying first at a, a race that they weren't even in the same country at that time when the qualifying took place. So uh, <laughs> that wouldn't mean read much on press releases. Anyway, moving on. Anyway, yeah, press releases are written by guys like me and Seth. <laughs> so, <laughs> but anyway, speaking of uh, stuff that uh, you can get over on Seth, Richard, let, let's talk about the British Grand Prix. Um, and that's where, I mean, I, I know you, uh, when you were... Uh, Young person growing up in Great Britain, you've been to the Silverstone track many times. I have. You uh, yep. you enjoyed that as a kid, and, and it's it's one of the iconic classic tracks that's still there. You know, in the oh, midst, yeah. in the midst of all these uh, newer tracks in in these these far east countries and whatnot, but Silverstone is still there. Still puts on a good race, and man, Formula One put on a great show this weekend. Um, you know, with actual passes on the track and passes in <laughs> anger and, um, you know, a little bit of, uh, bumping and banging almost. So, um, uh, at the, at the end of the day was Sebastian Vettel, uh, who maintains the points lead, uh, Lewis Hamilton, who everybody there, I think 260,000 people is yeah. what, what they said were, were there for the weekend, which is huge. Um, oh, yeah. it's huge. Uh, so, um, you know, and Hamilton has won the last couple of years there. So, uh, hey, he didn't win today. So let, nope. let's, let, let's, uh, let's talk through this British Grand Prix. So, yeah, we'd come back from, you know, as, as Hamilton dramatically called the worst weekend of his career in Austria, where, uh, Mercedes suffered a, a double DNF and, there was a lot of expectation on them going into Silverstone. You know, their base is Brackley for the chassis side, which is probably 15 miles from Silverstone in one direction, and the uh, Mercedes uh, engine facility at Brixworth, which is probably 20, 30 miles in the opposite direction. So this is the, their home track in many, many ways, and you expect them to go there and be strong and be competitive and, and really sort of take the fight back to Ferrari and try and wrestle that championship lead back from them. And as we saw in Austria throughout uh, Friday and Saturday, 
up until qualifying. Admittedly, Vettel did steal second practice, I think, but uh, all in all, you know, the Mercedes looked pretty dominant. And then Hamilton got pole uh, in qualifying by a pretty close margin. Again, people expected they, uh, them to have, you know, a two or three tenths of a second gap over Ferrari, and it was in the hundredths of a second gap. Ferrari bought some modifications to the car, a new floor, I believe, which some people were saying was almost half a second's worth of, uh, or sorry, two tenths of a second's worth of performance, which is a huge performance step from any one individual component. Uh, slightly unusual for Silverstone, and I can, you know, this is coming from personal experience, it was incredibly hot there at the weekend. Uh, normally it's its own microclimate and it's just above freezing, even in July. But it was a hot day and a lot of teams weren't really expecting that. So again, for you know second or third race in a row, you see off the start line there, Mercedes have a poor start. Uh, coupled with Ferrari having a fantastic start, puts the two Mercedes cars on the back front, back foot, sorry. Uh, Mattel gets ahead of Hamilton, which puts him out of, ter- um, out of position in t- between turn one and two, which allows Bottas to get past him. So coming into turn three, um, you know, Hamilton's back in third place and, and Raikkonen's in fourth. Now, Raikkonen, by his own admission, made a mistake, locked his uh, front right, I believe, uh, front left, and, and collided with Hamilton. And it was a, you know, a, a genuine mistake in, in many, many ways. And, you know, Raikkonen even admitted post-race that that was the case. Uh, dropped Lewis to the back of the pack, and, you know, he started to, to drive through. You saw him, I think he probably got us about fifth or sixth through a pit-stop cycle when Marcus Ericsson had a DRS issue going into the very fast uh, turn one kink. Most, uh, you know, the Red. I think it was Red Bull could take turn one flat out with DRS open. Most of the other cars had to sort of close DRS through turn one and then open it again on the exit. And Ericsson just said he got the timing of it wrong, and you know, it had a pretty big impact with the uh, with the wall in uh, in turn one. It, it looked a little bit worse on TV because where he'd actually impacted, there was a bit of a, a recess in the tires, and it looked like he'd sort of gone you know, three quarters of the way into the tyre barrier. But uh, thankfully, Marcus was okay. Got out of the car. Uh, that brought up the safety car. Now, that uh, allowed Ferrari to pit Vettel and save his tyres so he could get to the end of the race without really any concerns on, on degradation. The uh, They left Valtteri out and they left Hamilton out, which sort of shuffled the pack a little bit and put Valtteri in the lead. Uh, Vettel was second, and then Hamilton came in uh, third, I believe, on the on the restart there. <coughs> Excuse me. Then halfway through the, the first lap post-restart, you saw uh, Carlos Sainz and uh, I believe it was Roman Grosjean uh, came together into the uh, very fast uh, right hand at Cops, which was the old turn one back in the day. Uh Carlos Sainz was incredibly lucky he didn't roll the car. They, they got airborne, and uh, yeah, he was he was lucky that he landed uh, landed the right way up there. That brought out a second safety car, which, in my opinion, I, I don't think was warranted. I think they could have got away with the virtual safety car. Then the I understand the reason for the first safety car was because Ericsson's um, crash on the cars. They have a um, a sensor which detects impacts above a certain uh, deceleration rate, and if that 
light is illuminated on the nose of the car, then the driver needs to to have medical uh, assessment. And the best way for them to do that is to get you know a medical car out there and get the driver looked at straight away. So I, I totally understand that. Um, whereas you know, for, for those two guys, I don't think that was the case there, and they just walked off. So I don't. I think they could have got away with the virtual safety car there. The resulting factor there was that Hamilton ended up being on tyres that could get him through to the end of the race, uh, which were about eight or nine laps newer than than Bottas's tyres. But unfortunately, on the on the restart, Bottas was really struggling with his tyres, which allowed uh, Vettel to pass him and take the lead. Um, then Hamilton and Raikkonen both passed uh, Bottas. Uh, you before the end of the race, and and Hamilton wasn't really in a position to uh, to press Vettel, so you, you ended up Vettel winning with Hamilton in second and, and Raikkonen in third. Pretty pretty unusual, you know. Un- no, sorry, unexpected result because Silverstone's been a, a bogey track for Ferrari for many many years now, and uh, you know they pulled that out the bag there. And people will look at Raikkonen hitting her Hamilton, but you know. At the end of the day, Hamilton made a bad start. You can say what you want about it. He was it was a bad start, and best, even if Raikkonen hadn't hit him, he would have been third going. You know, out of the first complex of corners there. So Vettel would have still taken some beating from that position. Yeah, it was great to watch for the fans to see Hamilton battle back through the field, but you expected it. I mean, that car's two or three seconds, um, well, at least one to two seconds faster than most of the cars out there. So it wasn't a surprise that he did cut through to get into that top six place. When he got behind the Red Bulls, it was harder for him to, to make an impression on those guys. So, Richard, um, and then, Richard, let me ask you this. While we're talking about yeah. the Mercedes and they've had a you know, double retirement last week and then they you know, had their, their issues this week, um, do you think Mercedes is still a lock for this title, or do you think Vettel can can you know he's leading the points? Do you think Ferrari can hold on through the um, uh, through the rest of the season? I know we've got uh, the rest of the European season, then the break is coming up. Yeah. Uh, do you think um, that Ferrari really has a shot at this thing, or is just Mercedes just going to trounce the rest of the year? Well, you know what I. Before Silverstone, I would have said, you know, at some point Mercedes is going to get the finger out and they're going to do this. Silverstone is a power track, 100%. And I think it's 80% full throttle, I think, or some crazy number like that. And you look at Ferrari and they would, went toe-to-toe with them in qualifying. You know, they were, you know, they're within a blink of an eye between those two cars. So... I think there's a potential there that that you know Ferrari can push Mercedes, and if Lewis keeps making mistakes um, and you know the, the pressure gets put on the team. Now, I do want to say one thing: people criticise Mercedes for the mistakes they made in Austria, and the retirement sort of compounded that. But the strategy mistakes they made, the strategy calls they made at Silverstone got Hamilton that second place when they kept him out at the face first safety car. If Hamilton had pitted at that first safety car with the you know the Ferraris and the Red Bulls, he would have probably finished fourth or fifth. So they certainly made him positions there. So the strategy there was perfect. Uh, so credit where credit's due on, on, on that position. But it'll be interesting to see. I think that 
you know, the person that's going to beat, you know, the person that's going to lose the championship is Hamilton. I think he's going to get to him in his head. I think the way he reacted post race at Silverstone by not talking to the uh, TV interview in the in Park Fermi was disgraceful. Uh, you know, he needs to step up and do what he's paid handsomely to do in front of a hundred thousand plus people who pay a significant amount of money to go and watch that race. He needs to uh, stop acting like a you know a spoilt child. Unfortunately, um, you know, I think I think that'll be the thing that'll cost him this championship is his own mental state i mean right. let's let's be honest here though like like lewis hamilton was p3 before raikkonen hit him i mean in a way yeah. raikkonen helped him right because otherwise yeah there was yeah. No, no yeah i mean as i said earlier if, if even if raikkonen hadn't hit him hamilton wouldn't have finished any better than the second yeah i i look at that that little comment you made though about hamilton and kind of the, the mental toughness in some capacity it's interesting to me because I'm looking at this from a standpoint of how how are we going to be when the summer break hits? Because I look at last year, and I remember that Vettel was the hot shoe going into the summer break. And I remember that Vettel started to weekend shortly thereafter in the summer break because all the updates and everything that transpired after it. So are you sure we're not just running into a situation where maybe we're just replaying the same story from last year a little bit? Well, I, I, I totally get where you're coming from with that. But, you know, the, the majority of the performance here is in the car development. And as there's been a reasonably static regulation change for the last few, you know, a static regulations for the last few years the gains that teams can make from any one upgrade are limited. Now, bearing in mind, Ferrari did bring a, you know, this new floor to Silverstone, which apparently had a huge impact on it. So, you know, there are still gains to be found, but it's, as a, as a, regu- as a series sort of um, plateaus with its regulation changes, it does tend more and more to go down the drivers. Now, last year, post-summer break, it was Hamilton that stepped up and, and really sort of started to, dominate the championship and then of course you know they had the events of singapore where the two ferraris took each other out in the rain which really did you know swing it hamilton's way um so if ferrari can avoid those capitulations and mercedes don't find a huge amount of speed then i think it's hamilton that's starting to show the crack i mean when was he really in a tight championship fight it's been uh, a while Ros- yeah. well, it's rosberg and he cracked. Yeah. You know, it was Hamilton that made the mistakes, and it was his engineers that made well, the mistakes. So, I look at it from a standpoint, too, though. When I look at Hamilton, it's also, we all know Hamilton's personality. We all know that he's got to be a guy that's doing a lot of different things. He likes to be in a lot of different things. And Vettel is one of those guys that's just squarely locked in on Formula One. Uh, now, sometimes you can you can look at that and say, well, that means Hamilton's always refreshed and ready to go. You could also look at it where Vettel is just absorbing way too much and exhausting himself, and he's going to be just well put out by the time we get past the summer break. But then the other flip side of that is, you know, Hamilton's not mentally all in, always into it. And I feel like, to your point, the further we go into the career of Lewis Hamilton, the further we see, or the more often we see, I should say, how he just doesn't show up sometimes on a race weekend. Yeah. Where he, where, I mean, he just becomes pretty much a ghost. I mean, and for all intents and purposes, 
in Russia, we all knew it should have been Voltaire that took that, and it was a, a lucky break for for Hamilton. Uh, mm-hmm. Whereas you look at the other end of that, I mean, we look at this one, and I hate to throw Voltaire under the bus again because he's been driving great. He just he's been on the back foot of things. The tires weren't there for him in Silverstone, but the problem was is the second he was passed with that and that arrow wash got a hold of that car, he just couldn't go anywhere after he fell to second, and yeah. that's why he fell out of the podium and. Unfortunately, it looks really good for Hamilton because it looks like Hamilton is just taking Botas to the curb. But at the same token, Botas is out very handedly outdriven. Hamilton just not got the brakes. Hamilton's been out to lunch more than one occasion this season, and I think to your point, that's going to bite him at the end of the year. I really do think this is Vettel's title to lose. Yeah. Well, the interesting the interesting thing about this title this year is that it looks like it's becoming down between Vettel and Hamilton, which uh, whoever wins this is going to be a five-time champion. And for years and years and years, the only five-time champion was Fangio, who won in the 50s. Then nobody won more than three for years and years and years. And, uh, uh, you know, Prost won four. And then, of course, Michael Schumacher obliterated every record in Formula One uh, with his seven titles. Um but we haven't seen another uh, person get five championships, and we're, we'll see. We will see that this year, barring you know the odd fact that uh, uh, you know Valtteri or Max Verstappen sneaks in and wins this thing, which I don't see happening. So that historically, this is a pretty neat season to see these guys fighting for five. You know, you got got four apiece. So. But it would do, be it, it would be more humorous to see Danny Rick just come in there after being slided at Red Bull and win a title. Just saying. <laughs> yeah, but he's he's a little farther back. But uh, not to, it's not totally out of the question. You know, there's a lot of season left. So, but uh, I do want to. We're, we got about ten minutes left in the show. And um, excuse me, um, Joey Barnes has joined us. Uh, Joey Barnes, who writes for IndyCar.com. They wrote a really neat article um, earlier this week, or, or earlier today, about uh, the World Cup in soccer and uh, IndyCar drivers' reaction to that. So, uh, it was pretty neat. So, check that out on IndyCar.com. But, uh, Joey, you spent your weekend in Iowa, and um, I really enjoyed the Iowa race. Uh, I thought that IndyCar got the aero package right. We had two lanes and sometimes three lanes for racing. There were uh, nearly a thousand passes, nine hundred fifty-five, I believe. Um, only three for the lead. Uh, you know, New Garden on power, and then Hinchcliffe on New Garden, um, and just a, a pretty. They really nailed this. Uh, they've got this new car working well on the ovals, but the finish under yellow. Uh, left a sour taste in a lot of fans' um, mouths. So, uh, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that finish under yellow and the fact that uh, New Garden and Wickens uh, went to pit anticipating a green that they didn't get and just lost track position? I feel like, man, this is going to be interesting. Um, first and foremost, the finish under yellow. Let's attack that first. I think that. Uh, we all want to see a shootout for the win, right? But I don't want to see it in a NASCAR fashion. I mean, goodness gracious, they, t- they put millions and millions of dollars of, of wrecked race cars up on the trailers after Saturday night's race. Oh, but yeah, absolutely, I, yeah. 
Yeah, so I'm I'm thankful and and lives at risk at that at that at that account. And I look at this situation on the IndyCar side of it, and I understand that it may not be popular because oh, we always want to see a shootout. But a the the allotted amount is is 300 laps, and then b we're not tearing up a bunch of equipment and putting a bunch of mechanics who and engineers who you know let's be honest they they work well below what they are deserved. Um, these mechanics definitely deserve way more than what they're getting right now. And to put them even further in the hole, especially after what's been an incredibly tough rough stretch from St. Petersburg to now with how much testing and how many races have gone on, I think it's important that, that you keep them happy. And so not popular, but when's the last time that we really had a yellow finish uh, in an IndyCar race? It's It's been a minute. Uh, so I think that, especially on an oval, uh, so I think that, you know what, I understand those things happen. I understand they're not popular. Keeping the sporting side of this in perspective, it went the distance, everybody went home safe, and you know what, there was 380-something passes last year for the entire race, and we had almost 1,000 this year. One guy dominated the majority of it. You know what, a couple years ago, that same guy dominated it in the old package, too, so... I can't hear anybody mouth off comparisons and say, we wish this, we wish that. At the end of the day, this was a good race. And to go to the part that you want to talk about, which is the the drivers that pitted, Spencer Piggott, or, or I'm sorry, Robert Wickens and, and Joseph Newgarden and them. It took 10, minute, 10 laps to clean up a Zach Veach scrubbing the wall in four earlier, and our only other caution. So common sense would have told me, that it's going to take a little bit of time since we saw Ed Carpenter get a little loose, um, almost take out Takuma in the process, but there was some debris on the track. And it would tell me, common sense would, that, well, if it took him 10 laps to do that, and we're on lap, what was that, 294 when that caution came out? Yep, yep. Common sense would tell me that we're probably not going to get this thing rolling again. I, on the plus side, there's there's five guys on the lead lap, right? Yeah, so, you're not going to lose too much, are you? Yeah, so you're not losing a lot. Unfortunately for Wickens and Newgarden, they lost a podium, but that's where Piggott and Sato were smart in the regard of, you know, hey, if it took ten laps to do that, we're only on track for six. This kind of just seems like a no-brainer. Plus, if you jumped me with fresh tires off a one-lap start, more power to you because I'm just finishing right back where I was anyway. So... They had everything to gain and nothing to lose, and it's always tougher the further front of the field you go, the tougher it is to make that call to come down pit road or not. I know that they wanted to get it refired. They wanted to get the race restarted and get that one or two lap shootout, but, you know, when when you've got the the situation that plays out the way that it did with trying to pick up debris, getting the track cleaned up, having to reorder the cars so your lead lap cars are in front of the lap cars, but you've got (laughs) almost 20 cars a lap or more down there's a lot of shuffling that goes on from race control so there's a lot of variables that played into that but it shouldn't take away from what was a good show i understand the ending maybe wasn't desired but it was a pretty damn good show in my opinion oh it was a very good show yeah but but i mean mean, if you look back to the um the 8514 100 regular one and they did that quick red flag to stop everybody just so we could have two more laps. They, you know, they possibly could have done that just to go ahead and, you know, just just, just get two more laps under, you know, um, 
and finish under. I think Hitch would have won either way. I, there wasn't enough time for um, Newgarden or Wickens with the fresh tires to burn through the field like uh, Hunter Ray did a couple of years ago at Iowa where he took the uh, fresh tires on. And uh, I don't know. I don't know. There was, race, a yeah, big, so. there was a big gap, though. When you look at somebody that was on 40, 50, 60, 70 lap old tires versus fresh tires, I mean, there was a good anywhere between a three and eight tenths of a second difference when you're looking at that kind of tire deck. Yeah, but if you only had two laps to, to, to do it. So I don't know. Hey. The, the world will never know because we end another yellow. Um, as as we do in IndyCar, we don't have a, you know, green-white checker. Um, you know, if IndyCar wanted to do a green-white checker, they'd have to look at fuel allotments. Um, no, no. You know, no, I, I, I agree, no. but but I'm just you know I'm just no. telling I'm just telling what I read on social media comments. So, but on, on a plus side, James Hinchcliffe, great win for him. The guy was totally, you know, defeated. Uh, you know, being the guy bumped at Indy, uh, missed the 500, needed some sort of positive mojo to get his season going on. Um, wins in Iowa. Next week, they're in his hometown, uh, racing in Toronto, which is the race he went to as a little kid that really sparked his interest in racing. So um, we, we've got about a minute left in the show, so we've got to go around the table and uh, get a pick for uh, Toronto. And then we've got to go back around to get a get a pick for uh, Germany for the Formula 1 race. So, uh, Joey, who do you like for Toronto? Um... Oh man, that's a tough call. Uh, I'll actually, uh, yeah. I'll probably go Will Power. Okay, Seth, who do you like for Toronto? Robert Wickens. No. And so, so Richard, I, I gather you like Robert Wickens for Toronto. Every damn week, somebody does this to me. All right, so who do you like for Toronto? Uh, I was going to say Robert Wickens. Uh, I'll give my buddy Takuma. He's going to pull one out of the bag. Hey, Frank, how come you never let uh, Richard pick first? Uh, because it's so entertaining when somebody takes his pick. You just heard <laughs> that, yeah. So uh, I'm going I'm I'm to go with Rossi. I, th- I think the Toronto track fits Rossi's style. So, um, And then we've got to go back around one more time for Germany. Because well, Formula, Formula 1. Germany. Yeah. Okay, well, no, we just we, did a we just did a triple header. You want them to do yeah. a quad header? Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! I thought <laughs> not, you, I thought Germany was this week. So, on what? Very quickly, if we got got a little bit of time, some Formula One news. So, all this uh, you know, messing around with new engine regulations for 2021. It looks like it's going to stay as it is, pretty much, because all the current manufacturers have said, well, the reasons we wanted to change it was to invite new manufacturers into the sport to make it cheaper for them to be involved. All the team, all the companies that have been talking with Formula 1 about coming in for 2021, nobody's committed to it yet. So the teams have turned around and said, well, hey, look, if you're not going to commit, we're going to stick with what we've got. And, yeah, so that's the uh, Formula 1 news at the moment. All very silly. All very silly. So um, with that being said, we are right up at the end of the hour. So uh, I want to thank, thank you, Richard and Seth. And I want to thank you, Joey, for all coming on the show. Uh, I want to thank the Who's Your Radio Network and iHeartRadio, and I want to thank all you folks that tune in and listen to us week in and week out talk about the race. And so uh, until then, good night. 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.